This is Truth and Love Ministries, where we bring people home to God by learning His truth and experiencing His unending love. This week, we're in a series titled, A Fresh Start. We're revisiting some foundational principles and some forgotten principles of our faith to help us recenter back on God and start fresh in our walk with Him. We pray this message refreshes you and speaks encouragement to whatever is going on in your life right now. Now, let's take a listen to the message. In the series, A New Start, remembering last week we talked about love your neighbor as yourself. What does love look like? Love does not hold its neighbor hostage. Love releases. Love eventually turns loose and let things go. Moses was coming close to the end of his life and he's trying to get this new generation prepared for how to live in God's blessings and how to not forget what God has done for them and how he's brought them out. Because he knows that if they forget, they're going to start to worship idols. They're going to start to worship things. They're going to start to mistreat each other and not love each other as God has commanded them to do. So he's trying to prepare them. You got a young generation of people where the oldest person is Moses, Joshua and Caleb, and everybody else under that is about 50 years, 58 years old and younger. So this is a brand new generation and they're gonna need some direction. They've been raised in the wilderness. They've lived in the wilderness most of their known lives and now they're getting ready to live in houses and and to have water and streams and vineyards and all of the things that life blesses us with. So it's crucial that Moses give them direction and instruction and help them to not forget the Lord that brought them there and not to forget where they came from. So today we want to celebrate what's yours in Christ. Celebrate what's yours in Christ. And that first scripture Deuteronomy 16, 11, it says, the first word says rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. Now, seems like for the Christian community, the word rejoice is a difficult word or a lost word. I don't think we know what that is. And notice what it says. It says, it didn't say rejoice based on your circumstances. It said rejoice when? You rejoice before what? The Lord your God. In other words, I should be rejoicing not based upon my situation and circumstances, but based upon what? My God. My God. So, so I want you to say with us all that's in, in Jesus Christ and see what's yours today. I want you to even, even might even get a new perspective of, of all the blessings that God has bestowed upon you and what Christ has done, what he's doing in your life and what he will do and what he's doing in the life of every believer, every Christian. And so in order for us to rejoice, we, we, we have to do some things. We got to celebrate some things. Okay, so the people who rejoice in God, the people who rejoice in God. Moses, like I said, he was in the last weeks of his life and dealing with this young generation, ready to go into the promised land. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Moses, right in the middle, says, he started to teach him, when you get into the land, don't forget the Lord. Teach your children. Don't follow other gods and counsel debts and free your servants. And so right in the middle of all of that, Moses started to tell them, when you get into the land, rejoice. Rejoice. Enjoy what God is giving you. And he said, celebrate. Man, I can tell y'all don't know nothing about none of that. Rejoice. Okay. 
<laughs> anyway, celebrate. Okay. Maybe we'll get there at some point in time. Deuteronomy 16, 1 through 8 says, he tells them several things to celebrate. Celebrate the Passover. Celebrate the Feast of Weeks in 16, 9 through 12. And celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Rejoice before the Lord your God. Be joyful at your feast. And he says, your joy will be complete. You know, I, I, believe I, I believe I understand why we don't understand is because we deal too much in happiness. We base our lives on happiness. We base, and, and happiness is the opposite of joy because happiness is based on what? External circumstances. When my external circumstances are good, I'm what? I'm happy. But joy is based upon internal facts. And it has nothing to do with ex external circumstances. So my external circumstances can be bad, but my internal facts is what I'm basing my life upon, and therefore I have joy. I may not be happy, but I have joy. And I want you to think back to the book of James when James was talking to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. He said, greetings, my brethren. Count it all joy. When? He didn't say when everything was right. He said, count it joy when you fall into diverse temptations. And he said, how can I do this? Knowing that the trying of your faith is working something good. In other words, what he's telling you is you got to know that no matter what externally it looks like, God is working it together for your good. In other words, this is going to, no matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like, this is going to come out and bring forth a good result. And he said, now, if you know that, you can count your trials joy. But if you don't know that, guess what you do? You look at your circumstances and you base your life upon them. You start speaking based on what you see. You call those things that be as though they are. Instead of calling those things that be not as though they were. What if you were to get up, like I was saying earlier, what if you were to just look in the midst of the situation like I was saying this morning when I was talking about, is, is it well with you? And I asked my wife that question, why? Because she'd been through a difficult week. And she knew where I was going. She looked at me and she said, it is well. And let me tell you what else she did. Let me tell you what else she did. By faith, she stood up doing praise and worship. By faith. I know it's by faith. Cause I, I, I live with her. I know what she's been through. I know what she's been doing. I know what I've been having to do. It got so bad last night, I started to wash dishes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and I said, no, nah, I don't want to take this privilege away from her. <laughs> um, she get up and come in here in the morning and be upset because I washed the dishes. You know how women are about the kitchen, you know. Don't nobody wash dishes right but them. All I would have done was wash the dishes, put them in the strainer, and she probably would have took them out the strainer and put them back in the sink and washed them again. So why wash the dishes twice? Amen. <laughs> why wash the dishes twice? You know, I mean, we, we got we to gotta stop looking at life as though this is it. This is it. If this is all God gave us as far as life is concerned, the Bible says we are more, men most miserable. If this is all we got, we, we go to work, we earn a check, we buy us a house, we buy us a car, 
We buy stuff to go in the house. We fix stuff in the house. We work on stuff in the house. We buy new clothes. We do all this stuff. We live, we raise our children, we raise our families, and then we die. Is that life? If that's all life is, man, God, he should have left us where we were. If that's all it is. That's misery. That's misery. Because guess what? You can't ever do any, enough of any of it. Every time you fix something, what happens? So you'll spend your whole life doing what? Fixing stuff. Fixing stuff. And then eventually, as you get older, you start to realize this whole building starts to lean. Right now, my feet say, get off me, man. <laughs> get off of me. Man, they, they come up with this new rule at work that they said we got to start wearing steel-toed shoes. So I, I got me a brand new pair. And man, I started, I, I, I wore them to the grocery store at my wife Friday. And so I said, man, they, they felt pretty good. So I said, I'm going to wear them to work Friday night. Man, it heavy wasn't the problem. Man, I went to my office. I think I took my shoes off five times. Five times. I had to go take them off and, and let my feet stop crying. I mean, it was terrible. It was just terrible. But we got, we got to stop looking at our circumstances, and we got to start looking at life differently. And this is what Moses is trying to tell us. Look at this now. This is, this is the character of the Christian community, a distinguishing mark of the church. We are the people who rejoice in God. Let me, let, me, let me put it like I should have wrote it. We are the people that should rejoice in God. We are the people that should rejoice in God. People ought to be able to look at us in the midst of a dark situation and like, like I used to do this guy, this guy used to come to work, come to deliver at our plant and every time I saw him, he had a smile on his face and I was angry. So when I saw him, the first question in my mind was, I don't see nothing funny. What are you so happy about? And guess what? We live life that way. And every time that man came, I couldn't do nothing to, 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 to rock his boat. I, and believe me, I tried. I would tell him, hey, you got here late. You're going to have to wait. Might be a couple of hours. Know what he say? I don't mind. I get paid by the hour. And you know what? I was mad with him because he was smiling. Because I was miserable. The, the statement that misery loves company, that's true. You don't want to, when you're miserable, you don't want to see nobody happy. You see somebody smiling, you want to know what's funny. And so, we should be, this should be a distinguishing mark. Now I know, I know that love is the true mark, but joy should be the real, another one, genuine way you can tell when you've encountered a Christian. We are just like the world. We're, we're happy when things are good, and we complain when things are bad. So, Moses is trying to tell the people to observe these specific incident occasions, and he said they, they, they are going to cultivate joy. Now, let's, let's think about that. In order for you to have happiness, you've you got to work and make some things happen, right? In the same respect, in order to have joy, you've got to cultivate joy. In other words, you've got to prepare the ground. You've got to work something on the inside. Something has to change and transpire on the inside of you. Because if you don't, all you're going to ever have is happiness. And let me tell you something. In this world, you ain't going to have much of it. There's always a reason. There's always something. I was in the house, you know, sometimes, man, when you, when you work all day and, and try to keep the yard cut, try to cut grass, try to help I keep the yard cut at the church and try to help other people keep their yard grass and stuff cut. And I'd be busy most of the time. And then I walk in the house 
And my wife started telling me, you know this right here don't work no more, don't you? I'd be like, oh, God. I got to fix that, too. If that's what my life is based upon, I'm going to tell you something. It's going to be a sad day. A sad day. You got to cultivate joy. In other words, this is not going to come easy. This is not just going to happen to you. You got to do something. You got to work at it. So the festivals were a big deal because they would be the hell at one location. And they were supposed to be wherever in Israel. They were all supposed to go to that one place and celebrate. And if you look at time, it, was, it, it wound up being Jerusalem. But Deuteronomy 16, 5-6 says, you must not sacrifice the Passover in any town except in the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. In other words, you can't do this where you want to do it at. God is going to determine the place. And then 16:11 says, rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. He's telling us Again, it's almost like he's saying what Paul said. Paul is saying what he said. Rejoice, I say. And again, I say rejoice. I want y'all to come to the place, man, where y'all, when y'all leave this place, people see you and they know that you have been with God. Why? Because you don't, not because of your stuff, but because you have joy. It's an opportunity. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a time when we can be a light and folk can wonder why you have hope. Not why, not when we can be just like them. Deuteronomy 16, 15 says, For seven days celebrate the feast to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. Where's the place? David said and later on he identified the place to be Jerusalem. Jerusalem is that place. And I'm not telling you you got to go to Jerusalem to do this. This is going to happen right here where we are. So in the New Testament, we see how important it is in the life of Jesus. Every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. Every year, they went. Why, 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 why a consistent thing? Why do you have to do it continually? Because let me tell you something. How many folks know it's not what you do every now and then that affects your life? It's what you do every day. It's what you do often. It's what you do repeatedly. It's what you do consistently. It'd be nice if I could read the Bible one time and I was done, wouldn't it? But I can't. I, it's what I do all the time. So, the Feast of the Passover. Now, these feasts were tied to specific events. They were significant and celebrated every year. What was the purpose of it? To strengthen their faith and to do what? Increase their joy. Now, if I'm moving, think about these, this young generation getting ready to go into the promised land. And I want you to think about Moses. He's standing here telling them, talking about rejoice and celebrate the things that God has done for you. Why would he be telling them that? Why would he tell them that? Why is he telling them all this at the beginning? Because Moses knows. Why was he telling them the poor you're going to have always with you when God was giving everybody a house, everybody land, everybody income. He was giving everybody everything to sustain them. Why is he telling them this? Because he knows that life is going to set in. He knows that they're going to get in this place and we're going to lose our contentment. When you get a new house, man, you're happy, you're satisfied, you're content. It's the best thing ever happened to you. And then the next thing you know, you start fussing about the payments. You forget about the blessing. So know this. What you know can leave you unaffected. What you celebrate can shape your life. Now, there's a lot of folks that know a lot of things. I know a lot of people that know Scripture, can quote them up and down, back and forth, in and out. But guess what? Just by knowing them, they're unaffected. But what you celebrate can shape your life. To me, every Sunday, this should be a celebration. This should be a celebration. We should come in and do like the Scripture says. The Bible said, enter into his gates with thanksgiving in your heart, into his courts with praise. We ought to say this is the day the Lord has made. We ought to do what? Rejoice, Rejoice and be glad in it. How can you, how, let me ask y'all this. How can you live a week in this world 
and then not be happy when you get here. If your week is anything like mine, man, y'all come in the door like we used to do as kids. Y'all ought to come in the door skipping, man. This is the only place nobody's going to ask you to work. There should be no stress and pressure. You should have left all that at home, left all that outside. And you ought to come in, man, whistling, skipping and dancing, rejoicing. Think, but, but let me tell you why we don't. Because we don't cultivate joy. We don't work at this. Our mind is set on natural things where we live. So what do you celebrate? What do you celebrate? What we celebrate, it tells a whole lot about what's important to us. What do we celebrate? You can tell a great deal about a family, a church, community, a nation. What do you personally Celebrate. Now, we you know somebody sent you a birthday card, you know you're glad because what? They celebrate in your life. We celebrate anniversaries because we what? We value marriage. Valentine's Day, supposed to be the day of love, of course. Got Mother's Day, Father's Day, and there's no other nation that I know of that celebrates Thanksgiving other than America. And our country, matter of fact, it's tomorrow, our country celebrate Independence Day with fireworks parades on the 4th of July. Think about that. Think about what they call it now. They're always talking about NATO and its alliances and us being one and coming one group. But what are we celebrating? Independence. That seems like a contradiction to me. It seems like you're saying, I want to be a part of y'all, but I'm independent of you now. Don't ever forget that. Hmm. But what you celebrate tells us what's important to you. In the church, we celebrate union with Christ. When somebody gives their life to Jesus, man, we celebrate. Baptism celebrates that union seal. Then we think about this Lord's Supper celebrates that union sustained. Sustained. All over the world, Christians celebrate what? Christmas, incarnation of God. They celebrate Easter, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, our Savior. We celebrate these things. But Moses, it raises two important questions about God's people. What is worth celebrating? And I want you to see that what Moses is talking about in Exodus it is speaking to us right now today. So he said, celebrate the feast of Passover. Deuteronomy 16.1. He said, observe the month of Abib and celebrate the Passover of the Lord your God. You can read the story of the Passover in Exodus chapter 12. If anybody remember the story, the children of Israel had seen God perform Eight plagues up to this point, and the ninth plague was getting ready to be executed. And they told all the people in that land, in the land of Egypt, he said, now tonight the death angel and the destroyer is going to pass through the land. He said, go kill a lamb. And he said, on the side of your doors, put blood, and over the top of your doors, put blood. And he said, when the death angel or the destroyer see the blood, he will pass over you. And the Bible says that every family that did that, even the Egyptians, every family that did it, nobody died. But every person that did not do it, they woke up that next morning and listen, the firstborn of everything was dead. The firstborn cow, the firstborn chicken, the firstborn child, everything was dead that next morning. So it was, a, it, was a, it, was a, it was a terrible day of judgment in, in that day. God came down in judgment and mercy. Judgment broke the power of Pharaoh, and his mercy protected his own people. 
And not and, and, and like I say, anybody that did it, anybody that was willing to obey it, was covered. Death came in every home that night. It was an awful night. They woke up that next morning, man, people were crying, they were being out of shape, and Pharaoh told them, say, hey, get these people out of here. Get them out of here. That was the final straw for him, because he woke up and his son was dead. So God said to the people, sacrifice a lamb, paint the blood of the sacrificed lamb on the sides and the door frame of your house, and when I see the blood, I will what? Pass over you. So, how does, what, yeah, I almost went to the next one. What would you have done if you had been among God's people and Moses told you to paint blood on your, door, on your house? What would you have done? I can see us, most of us outside with our neighbors asking, you going to do it? <laughs> I mean, you think about what God is saying. You think about some of this stuff and you think about, man, is that really is that, is that really, do we really need to do this? Will it really work? Would you have taken God as word? Let me tell you why they should have taken God as word. They should have taken him at his word because he had sent eight more plagues. Everything that he said had come true. And now number nine is on the way. And he's telling these people, go kill a lamb, put blood, outside of your door, and when I see it, I'll pass over you. And do you know you still had people that did not do it? They didn't do it. So God said it, his people did it through the blood sacrifice. They were saved from the judgment that came over the whole land. And God brought them into a covenant with him which says, you will be my people and I will be your God. And Moses, now Moses is saying, this is worth celebrating. He does not want these people to ever forget what God did in the land of Egypt. And let me tell you something. We are too quick to forget. We are too quick to forget. You know, how is it that God delivers you out of a financial situation, out of a financial crisis, and then when you get in another financial crisis, you forget what he did for you? You can't even remember the last time. All you can focus on is, is, is this, now. How can you live however many years, 39 years you've been living and seeing God take care of you 39 years, but right now you just don't believe he can do it? How do we get to that point? Because we are quick to forget, and that's why God said we need to celebrate some things. We need to celebrate them, so we constantly keep them in our mind. We constantly keep them in our heart. We start to cultivate joy on the inside of us. And so now he says, celebrate with the bread of affliction. Okay? Deuteronomy 16.3, it says, For seven days eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, so that you may remember the time of your departure from Egypt. Now, look what God is doing now. I, I think this is awesome. He's telling you, he said, man, he said, go and make you some of this bread and for seven days eat this bread so that I don't have to take you back to eating it again. If you eat it, and, and, and you know what unleavened bread really is? He, I mean, he's basically telling you to eat crackers for seven days. How in the world do you have a feast with crackers? All of y'all are welcome. By the way, all of y'all, I'm having a feast at the house tomorrow. All of y'all are welcome, and we have an unleavened bread. So anybody that want to come, y'all more than welcome. It's not going to take a whole lot to serve everybody. I think I got a whole box of saltines at the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so you getting you getting you getting some extra with my stuff. Hmm. The saltine saltine crackers on salt. Well, I'm sorry. Forget the extra. Remember, let me tell you something. The greatest difficulty that most of us have, and and what makes us judges, and what makes us critical. And what makes us point our finger is what? We forget. Mm 
we forget. I don't, I, I've never forgotten the days of being broke. I've never forgotten the days of looking at the telephone and, 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 and wondering, was it mama or was it the bill collector? And then wait till it stopped ringing and call the mama and see was it her. <laughs> we didn't have call ID. Y'all don't know what blessing y'all got by having call ID. So imagine living in the north of Jerusalem as Jesus did and he traveling to a festival. And then when he get to the festival and, and what you're going to eat for the next seven days is dry crackers. Dry crackers. The centuries after the Exodus, he wanted them to taste life as it would have been for them. If it were not for the mercy of God. And let me read that statement again. If it had not been for the mercy of God, there's a song that say, where would I be? I want you to just think about that. Think about that. I want you to think back to one of your dark days, one of those difficult times when life was not like you desired for it to be, wanted it to be. If it had not been, and I'm not, I didn't say the grace of God, but I said, if it had not been for the mercy of God, where would you be now? Where would I be? And see, this is what God wanted them to remember. Okay, so celebrate with the sacrificed lamb. Deuteronomy 16, 6 and 7 says, Sacrifice the Passover when the sun goes down. Roast it and eat it in the place the Lord your God will choose. In other words, can't do this where you want to do it. So where does the New Testament go with this? Jesus was crucified during the Passover. At the same time that they were supposed to be killing the Passover lamb, they were killing Jesus at the same time. They were having Passover. And so John the Baptist, when he first saw Jesus, he looks up and he said, behold, what? The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. God, he, you see God provided his own lamb on the day of Passover. When Jesus gathered with his disciples for the last time before the cross, he said to them, I desire, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He took bread. He gave thanks. He broke it. He gave it to them saying, this is my body which is broken for you. In the same manner, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. He said, I desire to do this with you. See what Jesus was saying. The intervention of God in Exodus, the greatest thing that ever happened in the history of Israel is only a shadow of what God, what God was about to do. It was only a shadow of what God was going to do. We celebrate the Lord's Supper. We don't roast a lamb. Why? Sacrifice has already been made. Jesus already paid the price. We take the cup to remember that, it's, that the blood of Christ has been shed. And by faith, this blood has been applied to our life. It's been applied to our life. So, so, so basically, the same thing that happened in Exodus, the same thing that happened in Exodus when they placed the blood over the doorposts and over the lentils, the Bible says the death angel passed over them. In other words, the judgment of God came through the land, and because they had the blood on the doors, nobody died in that house. In other words, what he's saying is now the blood of Jesus has come. And by faith, we apply that blood to our lives. And when judgment comes, guess what? It'll pass over us. The judgment of God is like a prairie fire. A prairie fire. How do you stop a prairie fire? Huh? You burn the place where the fire is going. So it has nothing to consume. So a prairie fire won't burn in the same place twice. Won't burn where it's already been burned. Neither will the judgment of God fall where it's already fallen. On Calvary's cross, the judgment of God fell on Jesus. So if you find yourself in him, covered in his blood, guess what? The judgment won't fall on him twice. 
The judgment of God won't fall on Jesus twice. So our goal, our objective is, is to find ourselves in Christ and apply by faith the blood of Jesus to our lives. Do you know what keeps God from killing us on a day-to-day basis? You know, everybody think God, everybody look at God like, like he's so loving, he's so merciful. But I want you to look back at, at, at Malachi 3.6. He said, I'm the Lord thy God and I change not. God said, I'm the same God that caused the earth to open up and swallow folks alive. He said, I'm that same God. I still view sin the same way. What stops him from every day when he gets ready to take wrath upon us? What stops him? He looks at the mercy seat. And Jesus points to the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies, and, and he sees the blood of Jesus. He knows the price of sin has been paid. When Jesus, Jesus, that's why Jesus, when Jesus left the earth, right before he left the earth, what did he tell Thomas? He said, take your finger, stick it in my hand. He said, take your hand, thrust it in my side. In other words, Jesus had that same bruised and battered body that he died with when he resurrected, he had that new body, but he could walk through walls with it. Why did he have that same body? He had that same body so that when God's wrath get kindled, and trust me, he's probably mad right now, but I want you to think about Jesus could do this and say, the hole's in my hand, the stripes on my back, and that my blood is for all that sin that you see. Price has been paid. That's why he had the same body. That's why he had that same, all them, all them bruises on him when he came back. He was that same Jesus. He didn't get a, he didn't get a new body like we are going to get. He did get one, but he didn't get one. This is not a process that's been accomplished. God gives you this feast so that you won't spend the rest of your life wondering if he loves you. He said you need to remember so that you won't spend the rest of your life wondering if God loves you. You can look at the cross and know that he loves you. He gives you this feast so you won't spend the rest of your life wondering if you are forgiven. If you look at Calvary, you know that you have been forgiven. <coughs> and that's, what, that's why we need to celebrate this day. No matter what your difficulties are in life, you're no longer a slave. And let me, let me, say, let me say this. Let me say this. See, when you look, when you look at life, and you start having battles, you got to remember, I am redeemed. I might not look redeemed. This might not feel like redemption. But if I cultivate redemption on the inside of me based on the work that Jesus did on Calvary's cross, then I am redeemed, and I just got to go through this process to get to my redemption. been freed by the blood of Jesus, sin will always be your enemy, but guess what? It's no longer your master. And I'm going to tell you, that's worth celebrating. Let me tell you something. Sin, people, people used to didn't have no choice. The devil and sin was their master. But when you give your life to Jesus, the devil and, and sin is no longer your master. Paul said, Paul, Paul, Paul told us these things. He says, no, he said, I'm no longer under sin anymore. He said, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield you your members under sin, but yield unto righteousness and unto God. He's telling us we don't have to do this anymore. We're not dominated and controlled by it. So celebrate the feast of weeks or the feast of first fruits. Deuteronomy 16.9, it said, cut off seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain. The day of first fruits when God's people brought the first fruits of a harvest as a gift to God. So what does the New Testament say about the first fruit? You know, I know a lot of, I know, I, I remember a, a particular preacher, he was talking, preaching about the first fruits and, you know, he was, he was saying that, you know, you know, it's amazing to me how, how, how they can turn everything into money, about money. So he taught, he was teaching about the first fruits, and basically what he said was, when I go to work, and I work for that first 40 hours, the first, that's the first fruit so off of that job, and I need to bring that check to God. 
Okay. I, I, let me say this to you. Let me say this. Let me say this. Always operate where you are in faith. Always operate where you are in faith. Don't ever just do somebody do something because somebody told you to do it. Operate where you are in faith. If you are not in faith where you, you can do what these people are talking about, don't try it. Because let me tell you what it leads to. Hungry and homelessness. It'll lead you to be in the dark. It'll lead you to be without water and lights and gas. Operate, you know, this is what I, this is what I tell people. If somebody prophesies over you, speaks over you, it should not be new information. It should be confirmation, something all God has already told you. So if I stand up here and say, God telling somebody in this building to give $1,000, you shouldn't give it because I said it. You should give it because God already spoke it to you. Most folks do things based on their circumstances and not based on what God is saying to them. Most folks will do things trying to change their circumstances and they don't hear God and then when it don't work out, guess who they're angry with? Mad with God. So the New Testament talk about first fruit. Jesus Christ is the first fruit. Christ has indeed, 1 Corinthians 15, 20, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I'm gonna tell you something. When you are going through a situation, and this ought to be hope for every person in this room, because I know everybody in here has lost somebody. Jesus is the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. Let me tell you something. If you have a family member, and see, this, this is where we are supposed to cultivate joy. We're supposed to cultivate joy because when I, when I know that whoever it is that's gone, left here, Knowing Jesus as their Lord and Savior, guess what? I know they're coming back again. I know they're coming back again. I don't have to grieve as if I've lost them eternally. I don't have to grieve, as the Bible says, as one who has no hope. I don't have to grieve that way. I can actually do like they say. You know, they say you ought to cry when a baby is born and you ought to rejoice when somebody dies. That's about the truth. So that child is in for something. <laughs> that person that died has escaped. They are gone. And if they know Jesus, I can rejoice because guess what? They don't have to deal with this no more. They don't have to deal with it no more. The, the song, I, I, I was listening at uh, Marcus's song selection. No more dying there. We are what? Going to see the king. No more crying there. We are going to see the king. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We are going to see the king. Soon and very soon. Why? And see, we ought, we ought to be at a, funeral, at a funeral. I know it's hard, and I'm not telling you to be at no funeral sitting up somewhere laughing because they're going to call the folk with the white coat and get you if, they, if you do, <laughs> in most cases. They're going to think something wrong with you. And you know, most people try to force this on other people and say, this is a home going. Shout! Man, when my brother died, I didn't feel like shouting. I'm just going to tell you the truth. When my mama died, I didn't want to shout. I was sad. I was heartbroken. I was missing them. But as I live and as I look back on life and I, as, as I get back and I can see life 2020, I see it in a different perspective. But at the moment, I didn't want to have no party. You know, this man, he was at my brother's funeral and he was trying to rouse people and stir people up and, you know, bro, you could, you could stick me with a cow prod and you weren't going to get me to jump. I'm just not feeling that today. But as time go on, I look back and I know Jesus is the first fruit. I know that my brother gave his life to Jesus right there on that first front pew right there. I know that when, 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 when I leave this world, I might not see him as that 6'5", gentle giant that he was, but I'll know him and I'll see him again. I'll see him again. And see, as people, children of God and people of God, we should be able to rejoice in situations where other folks are sad and broken. He's the first fruit 
He's a sample of what's to follow, the harvest. Paul says that Christ is the first fruit. Why? Because he's been raised from the dead. You know, and Jesus, Jesus is, I mean, God is so good. God is so good. Because guess what he did? He allowed Jesus, he worked through Jesus, and he performed resurrections while he was on the earth. Just so we could see. You know, he walked by the, he walked by the widow and her son has died. And he spoke to the little boy and the boy got up and went home with his mama. Jairus' daughter, Jairus came to Jesus and my daughter's alive at home sick. Come, lest she die. And while he was on the way, the Bible says they came, Jair, they came to Jairus and said, Jairus, your daughter's dead. Jesus said, don't. She ain't dead, she's asleep. And he went in, he raised the daughter from there. And then he, then, then, then he really showed us he was the resurrection when Lazarus died. They said, Lazarus is sick. And the Bible said Jesus stayed four more days where he was. Because the Jews believed that three days you could resurrect somebody from the dead. So Jesus stayed an extra day just to get beyond what they believed to be true. And so the Bible said when Jesus got to the grave, and, and, and they opened, they, they said, they said roll, he's rolled a stone, stone away. He said, he's, by this time he stinks. In other words, they let us know that decay had set in. His body is starting to decay. And then Mary said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And she, he said, can you believe? He said, she said, yes, I believe that he's going to raise, he's going to be raised again at the resurrection. And in the end, I can see Jesus standing up and squaring his shoulders and stepping back and saying, I am the resurrection. The resurrection is here. And he, he went to that grave and he called him and he said, Lazarus, come forth. Because, you know, he had to do this because he wanted us to see that there is a resurrection of life. Otherwise, why would he want them to have to go through what they went through twice? They had to bury Lazarus again. Jairus' daughter died again. The woman's son died again. So why did Jesus do this? So that we would believe that he can raise them from the dead. So just as the first fruit of basket pick from a tree gives you a taste of what is coming, that's the same thing that happened with the resurrection of Jesus. He gave us a glimpse of the day when his people will rise from the dead incorruptible. He is the hope of resurrection for you and for me. He is the hope of it. He is the hope that the grave is not the end. Also notice this, the Holy Spirit is the first fruit. Romans 8.23, we ourselves who have the fruit, first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, he said, now we have the first fruits of the Spirit. In other words, he gave us just a, he gave us a, 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 a sampling of it. On the day of Pentecost, he gave us a sampling of what the Spirit of God was going to do. And then he went on, and the Holy Spirit, he gave, as, as he gave us that sample, it was so we could taste the love of God and we could get a glimpse of the glory of Christ and that, and that we could live that new beginning in life. We could experience some of it here and now. You know, like I say again, I say again, all the songs that Marcus was playing, was, I mean, they were perfect. He was saying, I'm not going to be more loved than I am right now. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more than he already does. You know, we, we got that parent-child mentality, you know, where you go clean your room and mom and dad will be like, oh. And so we think that we come and do a couple of things for God and God say, oh, look at you. No, nah, he don't love us no more. He, when God loves us, he loves us, period. There's nothing I can do to stir it. There's nothing I can do to increase it. There's nothing I can do to make it better. He loves me the same always. It never changes. So the Holy Spirit, he gave us the Holy Spirit as a glimpse, just a taste, just a pledge of what was to come, a beginning. Man, 
Think about this. Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I go not away, the Holy Spirit won't come. And they looked at him like, man, you got to be crazy. How can we be better off if the Holy Spirit, if you leave us? Because Jesus could only be in one place. The presence of God was only where Jesus was. He said, but if I go away, I'm going to send you another comforter, another helper. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And, you know, the closest thing that I can see that man has made to the Holy Spirit is a GPS system. Think about it. You got a GPS system. GPS is in wherever it is, and it's directing millions of people in all kind of places, giving them all different directions, all at the same time. That same system. That same lady that's telling me to go, go left is telling somebody else to go right. I'm in, I'm in New York. That person is in California, and he's directing them all. He's giving them all a message. And God gave us a glimpse of what the Holy Spirit is going to do. And we have not even tasted, touched, experienced all that the Holy Spirit can do in our midst. We have not even came close to experiencing the presence of God in the midst of his people. You know why? Because, number one, we come in, we don't rejoice. We come in like... Oh, God, here we go again. Y'all do like we did when we were children. We were like, man, it's almost like somebody was dragging you with a chain going to church. Man, we got to, we got to, we got to come. I'm going to tell you something. If we are changed how we come to meet God, if we change what we think about when we come into his presence, if we listen to the Holy Spirit before we get to church, if we allow the Holy Spirit to work with us throughout the week, if we let the Holy Spirit do his work, when we come into the building, we won't have to do half of the stuff that we do to God to just show up. There were times in the Bible where the Bible said a minister could not even stand up because the presence of God was so thick. Nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. There's no preaching. There's no, there's no nothing when God enters the room. Because all of us are sin contaminated. And every one of us will be like that when he enters the room. So God, gave, God has given us a glimpse of what it's going to be like in his presence. He gave, it, gave us that through the person of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is working like, 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 like mama does. You know, um, everybody know daddy, daddy, daddy was always tough, right? Was your daddy tough? Was he tough? He's always, he always seemed to have been sweet when I was around him, but different man when he's at home. Was he tough? He was strict, but he was gentle. Strict, but gentle? But, but let me ask you this. Did mama have to kind of, you know, every now and then, you know, Bobby? Every now and then? Ease up on them. Ease up on them, Bobby. Ease up on them. Ease up on them. And see, that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit try to, try to get the children. Now, like, like Mama tells them, now, now, don't go and do this. You know how your daddy feel about that. And so the Holy Spirit is working like Mama, and he's actually there trying to prepare the children so they can get into the presence of the Father and actually make him happy. Won't have to deal with his strictness. Won't have to deal with him dealing with me. Get him ready. Won't have to do like my mom used to do. Don't make me call you dad. That's all she had to say. That's all she had to say. So God was just giving us a glimpse. He's just giving us a taste. And so Jesus tied these two promises together. I won't leave you as, as orphans. That's the promise of the resurrection. I will come to you. That's the promise of the Holy Spirit. He's telling us that the Holy Spirit was going to live on the inside of us. You know what? If I walk with you every day, if me and you can't get me and you got up every day together, Roy, and we stayed in the same place together, we got in the car, we drove to the work together, we walked in the, in the work together, we worked beside each other all day, and then when we got ready to leave at night, you get you came, you got in the car, and we drove all the way home, and you didn't say nothing to me. What do you think about that? But you know what? That's how most of us do the Holy Spirit. The God, that, the God that God sent to be with us and to help us, we don't even communicate and talk with him. 
We, we, don't even, we don't even fellowship with him. We don't even share with him. We don't even ask him questions. He was sent to help us. He was sent to comfort us. He was sent to lead us. He was sent to guide us. He was sent to, to direct us, and yet we don't even communicate with him. Anyway, celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. What in the world does this have to do with us? Live in booths for seven days. Now, they moved into the land. They, they got into this promised land. They got houses that they didn't build, filled with stuff they didn't have to buy. And now God is telling them, he said, now once a year for seven days, he said, go outside, get you some sticks and some leaves and cover up and make you an outside tent again and sleep in it for seven days. Why? So you won't forget. So that you won't forget. But let me, let me tell you, let me, let me kind of prepare you. We are living in the booths. We hadn't made it to the promised land where we're living in the houses yet. We're living in the booths. So he reminded them they came out of Egypt. They didn't have houses. They lived in the desert. They lived in, in tents for 40 years. Temporary housing. They lived in temporary housing for 40 years. So where does the New Testament go with this? Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. We know that if, we, if, if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. In other words, let me tell you something. Remember what I said earlier? This old building start leaning? Man, I know. Let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you why you can rejoice in pain. Because it, I'm so glad that it's not going to last always. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And I'm so grateful that God didn't suffer us to have to live in this for eternity. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Think about, think about people that have cancer if they couldn't die. But God say, he said, man, I got another house. He said, when that one is destroyed, when that one fails... He said, I got another house not made with human hands. Bunyan says this. I asked two questions. Where am I now? Where will I be soon? I'm in the booth right now. But I'm going to be in the city soon. He, Bunyan is saying what, they, what God told him. He said, you're going to live in a house that you didn't build. In other words, God's going to prepare me a body that I didn't have to make. He's going to prepare me a place that I'm going to be able to live in, and it's not, not going to have contamination. It's got, not going to be temporary. It's not going to fall apart. I'm moving out of the booth into the city. Right now, I'm living in a tent. I am a spirit. I have a soul, and I live in a tent. This is my tent, y'all. And we fall out with each other about what kind of tent we live in. I live in a black tent. You live in a white tent. You live in a yellow tent. You live in a tan tent. You live in a red tent. All tents that's going to the ground. And God's going to build us a house. We live in a fallen world, but soon we're going to be with Jesus. Soon we're going to be with Jesus. And when my soul can grasp that, guess what? I'm strengthened. I'm encouraged. I have hope. It should not make us sad that we are going to die one day. It should make us happy that one day we're going to get out of this. That's when faith is going to be turned to sight. Our lowly body is going to be changed and going to be like his glorious body. It's going to be like Jesus' body. And we're going to be forever with the Lord. He's going to bring us home. And when he does, our joy is going to be complete. Like Deuteronomy 16, 15 says, our joy will be complete. The Passover points to the death of Christ. The Feast of Weeks and First Fruits points to the resurrection and the gifts of the Spirit. The Feast of Booths remind us that what? I hope, I hope you feel this way. That we are pilgrims in this world and soon we are going home. I hope that you don't feel like this is home. They're worth, not just worth knowing, they're worth celebrating because that can change your life. What you celebrate can change your life.
Christ redeemed me. I heard a man talking one time and he said, he said, man, I wish I could rap. I wish I could rap. He said, if I could rap, I would rap this. Christ have redeemed me. Christ with me. Christ will take me home. Christ crucified. Christ risen. Christ coming again. Now that's worth celebrating. Did I do that good? No. <laughs> I heard y'all say, keep working that bridge construction. I heard you. I heard you. I heard you. I heard you. I was getting ready to start my new rap career after I got through with that. Yeah. I'm going to keep my, they said, what they said, keep your day job. I'm going to keep my day job. I'm going to keep my day job and I'm going to keep my lawnmowers and I'm going to keep cutting grass. I'm going to keep doing different things that I do. And I'm not going to go into a career of rap singing. Can you see this now backing me up? Yeah! Yeah! My dancing girl behind me. <laughs> oh boy. I'm going to tell you, what do you celebrate? What do you celebrate? Man, we ought to celebrate. You know, when God, when, when God created man and he put him in the garden, he said, out of all the trees of the garden, you may freely eat, but of the trees of knowledge, good and evil, you should not eat of it. For in the day you eat of it, you should surely die. And in the garden, in the, in the, in the garden, there was the tree of life, and man had the opportunity to eat off the tree of life and live forever. Do you, do you understand that? could have eaten off of the tree of life and been here forever. But because he chose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God had to kick him out of the garden, away from the tree of life, and put cherubims in front of the garden so he could not access the tree of life. Because if he had, he would have had life and sin in his body at the same time. He would have had eternal life and a body that was decaying and dying, and he couldn't die. So God had to get him out of the garden because if he went and ate the tree of life after he ate of the tree of good knowledge of good and evil, he'd had cancer, he had all kinds of disease, and Moses would have still been here now unbearable to look at. We don't realize what a privilege it is to be able to die. We look at our loved ones in the hospital and they're suffering, they're going through stuff. You don't understand what a blessing it is to die, to get out of that body. You don't know how many people I've looked at and, I, and I've heard about that people have prayed, God, take them home. Take them out of it. What a blessing it is when you know where you're going, when you know that you have eternal life, when you know that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior. What a blessing it is to be able to do that. To realize the Feast of Booth, to know that we live in this house, it's a tent, it's temporary. The Feast of Passover, I know that because of the blood of Jesus that's been shed for me and I've applied it to my life by faith to know that I am not going to fall under the judgment of God. To know the feast of first fruits, to know that Jesus is the first fruit being raised from the dead and that all that are his going to be raised and going to have a body that's incorruptible. What a blessing that is to know. That's something we ought to celebrate. Let me tell you something. You ought to celebrate it, not every year, but you ought to celebrate it daily. You ought to celebrate. Death can't kill me. The grave can't hold me. Death is the beginning, not the end. Just like Jesus said, Jesus said, don't weep for me. He said, weep for yourselves and for your children. Weep for the ones that I'm leaving here, not for the ones that's left here. Except they leave and don't know Jesus. So we ought to just be grateful today. We ought to think in our hearts and celebrate all that Jesus has done for us. Celebrate what he's done for you. Think in your mind where he's brought you from. Think where you would be if it had not been for the mercy of God. Think where you would be. Think where you would be if it were not for Jesus. And you ought to bless his name. You ought to give him glory. You ought to praise him. 
for sacrificing himself in your place, for dying in your place, for giving his life so that you may live. You ought to be grateful. You ought to bless him. You ought to praise him. Lord, we bless you. We praise you. We thank you. We honor you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, the Bible said, when the heat of spirit truth will come, he will guide us into all truth and bring all things to our remembrance. I pray that you would remind us daily, consistently, of the blessings that we have in these feasts that has been provided for us. We bless you, praise you, we thank you for it. We worship you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure to subscribe and share with somebody you know. And tune in next week for more sermons from Truth and Love Ministries Church.